0: What's up, everyone? Welcome to the Real Sports Science Podcast. My name's David, PhD student at Loughborough University. And I'm Matt, head strength and conditioning coach within rugby. David, what are we doing here today? Yeah, good question, Matt. Well, we started this podcast to share the highs and the lows of our journey as we start careers as sports science practitioners.
1: That's right. And we are excited for all of you to be following us side by side through the mud, sweat, and non-paying volunteer (laughs) roles.
0: Yeah, Matt, that that sounds personal. But it's not just us. We've got some amazing guests that come on to the podcast as well, including sports scientists, practitioners, athletes, coaches.
1: We'll be getting their perspective and learning from their experiences to help us grow. In our current careers as well as in our current roles.
0: Yeah, that's right. So, hey, if that's up your alley or you just want to come and learn alongside us, we'd love to have you come along. So, whether for the first time or not, welcome to the RSS Podcast. Let's go.
1: Hello everyone. Welcome to this episode of the RSS podcast. Today we have a very special guest, Julian Dale. He is a current physical instructor for the army. He's in charge of the physical training and development of phase two military recruits and permanent military staff. He has previously worked for the England RFU as an England rugby school mentor for two years. And he also has got his bachelor's in strength and conditioning group um, from University of Winchester, as well as completing a master's in sport and exercise. So yeah, welcome, Julian.
2: Thank you very much. Hello. Tell me us, Jeff. tell us
1: a bit more about yourself.
2: Uh, so yeah, uh, as stated, so undergraduate degree was in strength conditioning in Winchester. Um, so that was centered. My masters was centered around the biomechanics of uh, kicking and how a coaching class could improve kicking percentage. Uh, within that I did an England rugby school mentor course so that sort of improved the coaching side of rugby Um, and then from that I got really interested in coaching rugby because I've played rugby from probably the age of 10 probably so I've always enjoyed rugby and then from that job I enjoyed coaching so then in my master's of research I did my dissertation on fundamental movement skills Um, and then that just progressed into more coaching opportunities such as I do loosely London Irish coaching, well, what was London Irish um, Academy coaching, and I do sort of freelance coaching here and there. So that was that. And then once I finished my degree, I got a job at Winchester College as a physical recreation assistant. And then from that, I got a job as a civilian PTI for the military. And that's where I've currently been for the last year and a half, and I'm absolutely loving
1: it. How was the um, How was the sort of jump from rugby to military? I mean, it's sort of, I don't know if it's a rare thing, but for me it would be like quite a big decision or something you always knew that you'd want to go in the military. So was it something you dreamt about as being a kid, like trying to go through that military sort of way? or?
2: So military, I hadn't even looked at it at all. My first interaction with the military was my interview going through the gates to get my um, ID card. That was my first interaction with the military at all. So... I saw a job on LinkedIn and thought I'll go for it. Worst worst happen, I say no. Best happen, I will get an interview. Um, so I thought I'm quite fresh and quite fresh on the block. Um, I'll go for it. And went for the interview, which was quite terrifying. Going through as a just out of university, going through barbed wire fences, ID checks, car getting a look at, um, and then went for the interview, which was really good. Um, biggest interview I've done because I had what three civilian and two military staff interviewing me. Um, so that was quite big in terms of an interview being a 22, 23 year old when I went for it. Um, and then, lo and behold, I got the job, which was which I was very, very happy about. And it was it was a very weird transition because going from university coaching, where it's quite lax days, of quite relaxed, has used to military style of sort of teaching, coaching, leading a class. So I had to learn about um, words of command, different rank slides, how to stress different people. Um, how to control a, a sort of troop of 30, 40, 50 people, different numbers, um, talking in the sort of military terms of how you explain one thing, because I might just say, "I marks, get set, go, whereas word of commands and military are completely different. So it was a slight adaptation, which I'm still learning about, completely still learning about, because I've only been in the world for about a year, the military environment for about a year. So it's a good, it, it was a good <coughs> change, but a difficult change to adapt my way of coaching and the way I'm delivering and the way I'm interacting with people but fully enjoying it
0: how did you how did you prep for that interview like going in not knowing much about the military like I I wouldn't even know how to start prepping (laughs) for that did you use like online resources to try to figure out you know just kind of yeah how, how did you prep for an interview that where you're not really sure about um Kind of the context, because I, I guess that that goes for everyone when, you know, they just apply for jobs that they think would be unreal opportunities, but they might not have too much experience in that area. So how did how did you apply or not? How did you um, yeah prep for that interview? In
2: terms of prep, it was a lot of research because I backed myself in terms of physical coaching of a squat and such. I sort of backed myself on that side of things. But in terms of the way military did fis I hadn't a clue what the hell they did. So a lot of it was research, and they've got sort of key um, structures and foundations of physics that they run by. So for me, it was looking at those foundations, seeing how I apply them in the gym, and seeing how I can apply them to their job and their aspects, what they do in the field as such. So if it was a pull, it could be a pull-up, or in their field it might be getting over a wall. If it was a push, it could be a shoulder press, and in terms of their field, it could be pushing an tin above their head. So it was trying to relate movements to in the gym to in the field, And sort of bits where I hadn't really thought of it before because I'd never thought about oh I'm going to push an amateur above my head or pull myself against the wall rotate around to deliver a bit of cargo so it was learning how you can use gym movements in everyday movements in a military lifestyle which was quite interesting so I fully enjoyed that side of it and then um, other bits with the interview were sort of character questions like normal so that was quite nice having to do different sort of character questions so it was a bit more in-depth and in how you deal with different situationals and different people different lifestyles so that was quite good so it was definitely reading more into how I interact with people how I interact <laughs> with the gym and how I interact with the gym outside of the gym in everyday
1: environments. What was the difference between rugby and uh, like sort of training rugby players and training like sort of the people you, the recruits you have now is it like different sort of feedback you get from a session or yeah as i know you touched upon some of the movements that you change like for example climbing a wall for a pool um but do you do any specific gym work um yeah how does how does it compare really
2: so uh, in terms of rugby play very much focus on strength power and speed and those things we do in in military gym sessions but we have to involve a lot more and a lot of other stuff. So, for example, mental resilience sessions we have to do all the time because they might be an exercise for two, three, four weeks with limited rations. We still have to do physical tasks. Um, we have to do weighted marches, so tab two, four, six K with 35 kilograms on our back. Um, I had to learn how to train tactical movement bounds, such as on the, on the floor, leopard crawl, get up, run down, so it was extremely different learning how to coach a military personnel and civilian rugby personnel because the trainings are extremely different because we're building people to do their job in the military but also do stuff in the field because they have to be able to cover a r- large variety of skills and tasks out in the field instead of just well, it broad terms, rugby player, run, catch, pass. Um, military have to do all sorts because it's not about just standing up and delivering something or standing up and firing a gun it's way more than that so it was for me really interesting learning how to teach a full soldier not just a tiny aspect of
1: a sport such as rugby. It's funny because you're trying to get these people to be the strongest as possible as well as being agile. Yes. Trying to make them quick but also have a big endurance so it's like you're trying to hit every aspect to its full extent so it's, it's very very interesting and it's just we could talk for hours on how how the hell do you do that because we're always taught about in sport concurrent training. It sometimes works, but is it the actual best? You know, how do you t- how do you hit every target to that maximal sort of maximum area as, as best as possible? When
0: I don't know how what sort of time frames you have essentially. Yeah, I guess just like off the off of the back of what you're just saying there, Matt, like concurrent training. I think do you, do you notice a big difference in in kind of how you approach training because like in performance sport you're you're very like performance driven and this is for like performance on the field um whereas in in this case you want them to be like functional to be able to do their role and it's not really like how much they lift or how fast they can move but because you need that whole rounded so it's okay to be to maybe you know they're not as strong as maybe as a rugby player would but that's okay because they are all they also can run 20 miles with the 20 kilos on their back which that would crush (laughs) me if I tried to do that so I think I think like like how what how do you go about like making sure that it's that it's well balanced in that way um that you're not you know, focusing too much on one thing that you're, or also not giving them too much of everything because you need them to be good in all those different areas. So, in
2: terms of programming, when we have um, the recruits during the phase two where, where we have them, um, they, they're with us for 13 weeks. So we have a 13 week cycle for them. And within that program, we hit well, strength conditioning training, we hit Tabata training, we hit circuit training, we hit green fizz. Such as, So green fizz could be your weighted marches, could be your leopard crawling, could be elements of the tests that they have to do. They need to do combat training, uh, which could be um, gun runs, log runs, um, obstacle courses. We have to do um, mass training, so maximum aerobic speed training. We have to do speed agility training. So in terms of the 13-week program, we, do, we have them for five days a week five days a week for an hour a day so we do have a lot to cramp into their program so it's quite hard to make sure we get the balance right and um, to make sure we don't overwork them on one side and underwork them on another so it is quite key to make sure we equal the balance out but within that we might we have sort of certain flavors of the month as such so one month might be right we're going to focus a bit more on this for this part of your program this part of this for this part of your program it's definitely finding a balance which works for them And so far, I think the balance is quite good because everyone we've done so far is performing quite well in the test, performing quite well in the gym and performing quite well when they go on exercise. So it's definitely hard getting a balance and has taken maybe three or four attempts to get this program done because there's a lot of trial and error, making sure we don't overload one and sort of disregard another aspect. But yeah, programming takes a lot of long, hard looks and lesson planning. So yeah, the programming is extremely key.
1: And then are there ways that you can test them to see if they are hitting those markers?
2: So we have two types of tests that we run. We have a biannual test, which is six monthly, and an annual test, which is every year. So the biannual test um, is a review. So on that one, we do pull-ups, so how many pull-ups you can do, a broad jump, um, hex bar deadlift, sprints, and a 2K best effort, and a med ball throw. So even with those, we're still targeting... Um, So pull-ups is uh, upper body strength, med ball throw is upper body power, Um, lower body, you've got, with the hex bar, you've got lower body strength, broad jump, lower body power, then with the 2k best effort is aerobic speed, sprints, anaerobic speed, Um, and then we also do BCMs, so we do test them every six months to make sure they're staying concurrent, and with there, there are a point system and pass and fail marks, so we can make sure they're passing. And then the annual one every year, that's where it's more green and combat-based. And that has seven elements into it, um, which I can go into. So in there, we've got a 2K tab, which is a best effort. So 2K tab lead, then a 2K best effort. Then they go into uh, movement bounds. Then they go into incremental lifts. Then they go into repeated lifting carries. Then they go into drag bags. Then they go into jerry-can carries. And then they go into deadlifts. So, very broad, full body tests which target every element of the soldier to make sure their role appropriate. Because each element, if you didn't have one, you wouldn't be able to do the other. So it's all very specific to their role and their what they need to fill out on the field. Sounds
0: like are a dream, you eh? are um, <laughs> are you allowed to uh, say what the best two K time is that you've seen?
2: Uh the best 2k run that I've seen, best effort 2k run unweighted was six thirty, I think was the best two K I saw was a six thirty. Yeah, rapid, yeah. absolutely rapid.
0: That's cool. What about what about most pull-ups? Most
2: pull-ups I've seen, I think recently we had a 14 and a half today. I, mean, I think 14 and a half, 15 have been the most I've seen.
0: That's impressive.
2: Yeah, I <laughs> can do it. So David David sure will
1: break that record. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah yeah right if we add our scores together so, um yeah yeah exactly and times it by <laughs> two maybe if just um so you work with with phase two recruits um like do you see those people for those 15 weeks and then they move on to whatever you know wherever they go after that do you ever see them again uh, uh and if and yeah that's the first question. So it. We'll leave, it. 15 we'll leave weeks. it there first. So
2: that's once they finish phase two. Once they finish phase two. So phase two is initial trade training. So this is where we've got the raw soldier as this is their foundation of soldiering. What we're doing now is so I just have them in the gym to get them fit to pass their annual test at the year. So for them to move on in their progression, they need to pass that annual test, the one with the multiple elements in the field. Um, and once they've passed that, they then go into their frontline unit which is then some I might see some again because some units are at my base, some units aren't. But in terms of circulation, um, I might see them every two, three, four years. I might see them straight away. It just depends where they go once I finish with them for the 15 weeks.
0: Right, right. That's so interesting. I just have no idea of any of that, how that works. So it's really interesting to hear. So you do see some people regularly because they're based where you are, but some people it's that 15 weeks then you might not see them for, for a while. Like, do you do you enjoy that mix up of some people you actually get to see and you know you're continuing to train them and some people you don't like, do you have a preference of one or the other I do
2: enjoy its sort of you, I enjoy both sort of things because you have someone fifteen weeks and they go off then you might see them again come back in six months a year, two years, and they're still and they're still improving, which is brilliant, and some people you keep with the whole way, and you see them improving from the day you've got them to day six hundred or whatever. So it's really nice to see their journey with you helping them all the way. And some people you've helped for three courses of their journey, then they come back and they're still improving and you've had a lasting impression. So both sides of the journey are really interesting and really enjoyable.
1: Yeah. One thing we speak about a ton on here is the coach-athlete relationship. Is that harder to sort of build as there's so much turnaround with some of the people? You know, like how do you do you learn a lot about, obviously 15 weeks, you get to learn about these people, Um very intensely going through what they have to go through, but is it is it harder to manage? Would you say than when when you were with r- rugby players, essentially?
2: Um, I think the only thing hard to manage is the obviously the sort of the appropriate relation to have because you have to stay rigid and things give you enough respect. So obviously you're still in their chain of command in the military. So I can't be all pally pally, best mate, fist bumps. I still have that respect and the chain of command and sort of making sure they're not crossing the line because in terms of rugby you can be quite pally as much as you like whereas in me I have to make sure I don't cross the line of losing my control of the course or losing the respect that they give me because otherwise they just won't listen so it's definitely finding the right lines you can be as nice as you want but making sure they don't cross the line so you definitely need, you need to learn who they are and what, they, what makes them click outside of the gym so you can target them appropriately and how to deal with them just making sure you can bring that back to make sure you keep up the respect chain of command, and being rigid with your sort of proposal uh, approach uh, approach of lesson.
0: That's so. That is so interesting because it's it's you know you're training people, but you're not just training athletes or just someone who wants to get fit like this military, and that comes with then obviously way more responsibility have you ever given a fist bump to anyone
2: i have given a few i do i've given a few fist bumps yeah in my time i've given a few (laughs) yes
0: what is there like not allowed only if it's like they're on the same level of command then it then it's okay
2: it's finding the right uh, right environment right audience because also i wouldn't do it in front of people who are super high on top of right but i'll probably do it around people who are the same level as me yes
0: (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah (laughs) Yeah, uh, it's so, so, so interesting. Um, go If you left the military and took the experiences that you gained in the military and, and how they train and some of the different trainings that you do, and you went back to, say, a rugby team, do you think how you train that rugby team would change drastically from how you used to train a rugby team before i
2: think definitely it would influence how we do it because you can take so many things you do from the military into a sport such as rugby so forearm strength when you do a jerry can carry holding 25 kilogram jerry cans in your arms you want to run six meters out and 60 meters back in terms of forearm strength in rugby what well, that's a handoff that's holding the ball that's ripping the ball um such things as drag bags, that sort of leaning back using your legs to power backwards, and that sort of thing can improve your explosive strength to go forward into a tackle. Uh, deadlifts, we use them all the time, so I'd probably keep that the same. But definitely things such as, yeah, there's definitely elements you can take in from military style into rugby, and it would improve the game tenfold, no shadow of a doubt at all.
1: No, I, I, I agree. I mean, like, a lot of things, as you say, you want the soldier to be well-rounded and be the best at sort of everything possible as a physical attribute and sort of you want that as well as rugby so you could definitely feed it into them um as well I I mean I'm sure they'd love it because some of those rugby boys do love a bit of hard graft as well but uh, probably not as much as the the recruits that you've got coming in so the whole uh, premise of this season is to try and get so many different perspectives on wintering or off-season training so the last bit I wanted to ask was what does sort of wintering slash off-season mean to you
2: means in my
1: job now or just in life as a coach uh li- life as a coach and then you can go into into your job now
2: so, wintering and off season is obviously what the goal you're aiming for. Because, obviously, in the year cycle, your year training cycle, your program, you'll have a target you want to hit by winter or a target you want to hit by off season. So, it's making sure that if you haven't hit that target by then, could you taper off your training beginning and off season to make sure you have a nice, gentle off season and then taper it back up when the season starts get the impact. Um, Winter, it's getting a bit colder, so you could change your environment a bit. So instead of, constantly doing outdoor stuff, bring it indoors and still target things. Um, but for me as a coach, it's just making sure that the level's stay appropriate. Because obviously rugby, I've played civil rugby, because we've got a few more games left. It'd be tapering off slightly towards the end, but making sure we're tapering back up before the season starts again after Christmas. Just making sure that you're not losing the momentum you've gained throughout the year but staying consistent. Because if you just say, right, let's taper off now, I've got two games left, let's chill out, let's taper off now. Those two games have a massive effect, and then I won't be back playing for another two months, year, month and a half. And by that time, would I have trained at all? It's Christmas, I'd probably have just trained, closing, opening my mouth, putting Christmas food in. So it's definitely just looking at a year as a whole and make sure you're getting the aims you want to. And then in terms of my job now, winter has no effect on what we do at all. Zero effect we still have to do the lessons we've planned. They still have to do everything we've told them to do. They still have to go outside and do wasted marches and do tests in the rain, sun, They have to do it all. Just the worst thing is that I have to be out there as well with them. So, yeah, winter doesn't affect the military at all, which is quite good, I think, because that's where the mental resilience side comes in, because we don't want them to go out in the cold and just go, I don't fancy doing it today, let me go inside on in the warm, because you don't really have that choice if you're on exercise or deployed. So mental resilience is a big side where... Even doing it in freezing cold weather as a minus two weighted walk on a Monday morning. That mental resilience is building without them knowing because they've got out of bed early in the morning. It's eight o'clock. Let's go out for a walk and just steadily walk around the field in minus two degrees, then get back in. So without them knowing we're building that mental resilience without calling it mental resilience. So yeah, winter doesn't change our programming
1: at all or our training at all. But do you program anything differently? Like do you lessen the amount of volume that they're experiencing during wintering or is it still the same? Um, or even some parts you increase different things. Like do, do you alter anything just because it is sort of a winter The period? program
2: stays exactly the same no matter what time of year you are there. We might just change it site because of safety. Okay. So if you're, if we're, let's say i are scheduled in, we're going to do leopard crawls. If it's minus 10 degrees and the grounds absolutely are solid, I'd dynamically risk assess and change it. Or if it's too dark, too wet, because underfoot we can't do sprinting, I might change it to indoors. So we still try and target the same stuff, just change it for a safety aspect because I don't want to go out there and ruin my entire troop of uh, lessons and then have them knock for the next two weeks and injure them. So it's making sure that we look more in the safety aspect. But the programme, no matter what, if it's summer, winter, autumn, it stays
1: exactly the same all year round that's interesting because I know there's like this theory of like periodization where you sort of try to get a stimulus. So then you sort of, Oh, I can't remember if it's up or down. Jeez, I haven't looked at it in ages. But you give them a stimulus, they recover from it, there's that period of recovery, and then they're back to that sort of peak performance. Is it hard? Because some people use this off season or wintering period to sort of get their bodies back into shape or, you know, sort out any of their injuries that they need to get sorted, or they use that period as just let pound on the volume, let's get massive. Um, how do you program that? But also, how do you make sure that they're always ready for deployment in a in a way so they're always hitting that peak performance, even with all the fluctuations that they experience?
2: So within their 15-week program, we do have deload weeks. So we make sure we build them up, then have a week or two deload. Then we build them back up, a week or two deload. So we do, we do include that deload week to make sure we're not just burning them out. So there's no point burning someone out for 15 weeks. We're going to gain no results. We'll just have a fatigued athlete, a fatigued uh, staff by the end of it. So we do integrate those deload weeks. We integrate um, mobility sessions throughout the, session, throughout the weeks as well. So we have stretching sessions, we have mobility sessions to make sure that we are loosening them off as we go. Uh, so we do taper sessions, such as one session might be a strength session, one might be a power session. Some sessions might purely be based on endurance. So we do target the different elements of strength training and to taper it to make sure we don't fatigue them all at the end.
0: So if you know, you say that all year round the program's the exact same. Um, does that include like when they come back from? for let's say they are on deployment they come back, is there like is there a point then when you get okay we're gonna train you up again and slowly b- b- bring you back in or do they just jump in to the program that everyone else is in? Um because I'm sure you know not everyone's gone at the same time. There's some people here, some people there, so, like they're everywhere. And I'm sure you know their schedules don't match up. They come back every Monday. Um so like how do you deal with you know for the people that you see regularly um, who are based where you're based how how do you deal with that kind of or manage I guess different different individuals possibly needing different things at different times depending on where they are in their work schedule if, if you want to call that
2: so if someone's just been deployed and they come back we do the biannual six monthly test, which is a review to make sure they're fit and healthy to come back into mainstream PT okay um, because we wouldn't put someone in the mainstream unless we know they are foundationally fit to perform what we need them to perform during sessions so we do that six monthly biannual test um and if they don't if they don't pass it which most people do if they don't pass it we'll just give them a retake um but yeah after deploying we give them the ease back in um biannual test to make sure they've got the foundations before they jump onto mainstream so it's not straight away let's go burn you out straight away it might take them a week or two before they even come back to fizz 'Cause they might have other stuff to do with their job. Um, so yeah, they come back in, do the vinyl test, then go back into mainstream fizz.
0: Okay. And then and I, I guess how much on a day to day basis, how how much again for the people who are who you see all the time, um how I guess how much control do you do you have over their SNC program? Are you there? Like, do you need to make changes on the fly if like injuries pop up you know it's not a sport but they still get injured or they come back with certain things that you know maybe there's only certain aspects of the training that they aren't able to do like how do you work with them or or like other people like physios for example if i'm thinking of other people that would be in a sports team that kind of have influence over that snc program that they have like how do you work with those other people um in in those kind of situations So in terms
2: of their programme, we still design the programme for permanent staff as well as trainees. We design both programmes. So we're in charge of what we schedule, when we schedule it. Um, In terms of if someone's injured, they'll go to the med centre, they'll get a sheet saying what they can and can't do. And then when they come to us, we write them a programme to build them back up to what they need to build up to before they can join. So for example, if someone's got a foot injury, once they've done their um, different stages of rehab, we then have them for a build-up to walk training or build-up to run training. And that's when we give them a six-week program to do what during mainstream phys they'll go off and do their program. So we'll, we'll, we design different programs for different injuries to make sure people are rehabbed correctly, building on the rehab and the full body, not neglecting the rest of the bed or the rest of the body. So yeah, we do build up programs for people. So we work quite closely with the med centre to make sure yeah. that they're, they're not giving the person wrong information. We're not giving the person the wrong exercises to do if they can't do them. So mm. yeah, we work quite closely with med centre
0: yeah it's it's so interesting because obviously like you know training does stay you don't have an off season but but you kind of have an off season when they're not there or when they're deployed somewhere you know that's kind of they're not doing nothing that's for sure but they're not you know training how they would like or i guess when you know they're not how's that they're not on the beach right (laughs) yeah yeah yeah. i guess that's like the peak time it's just so their peak time is also their off season because they're not training like that that's that's really really interesting um um so I guess the next question that i that I would have is is how would you then prepare someone for the short term versus the long term like I guess in we had a couple of weeks ago um an athletics coach and matt we were chatting about how does she kind of program for the next season versus let's say like an Olympic cycle or you know, is there that short-term and long-term goals? Like, would you have that a similar thing where you have short and long-term goals or is it more just like, what's this next six weeks look like and then just take it by that? All right, come back from a deployment. What does the next month look like? So in terms of the long-term aim, so the
2: long-term aim of that off that 15-week block of staff is to pass that annual test. So our entire program is built up around passing that final test. So, the entire 50 weeks out, the trainees knowing it, is a build-up program. So the right. program is targeting different parts of that annual test to make sure that they can pass out of it. So that's probably the long-term would be making sure they can pass that test without them knowing that we're doing build-up training every single session is a build-up training targeting a different element of that test. Um, and in terms of the short-term would be that biennial test or if someone's on deployment, they have something called a pre-deployment package which is where it's sort of a really condensed, uh, in-detail package of what they need to do. Nice, quick, sharp, three-, four-week, intense course to do before they go on pre-deployment.
0: Okay. So it is, I guess, the longest term would be kind of that year annual or the yes, yeah, and I guess that's kind of cut up by the, the six month one, which I guess is kind of just like a, a precursor to the year, anyways. Yeah, and that, and that happens just every year, and it's the same test to make sure that every year they those have standards.
2: to take that test. If they don't pass that test, they're going to retake it, or they get sort of medically um, downgraded, but they have to make sure they get past it. So, unless they pass it, they can't sort of carry on with fizz or can't carry on with their duties, so they've got to stay current in fizz and current in their sort of body to make sure they can pass that test at the end. And yeah. everyone has to do that. Every single year, every soldier has to do
0: it. So do you do it? Do you have to do it as I don't well?
2: It. No, no. I'm a civilian, yes. I don't have to do it. We're all good. Yes. <laughs> oh, okay.
0: Okay. Do you do, you, <laughs> do they give yeah. you a bad time for that because you don't have to do it, but you're having them like make them do it.
2: Yeah, a few people make comments, but we're all good. <laughs> but that that's dealt with swiftly. We're all good.
1: Swift, that's right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> um so, so and then I speaking to one of my mates who uh won't stop talking about his RAF Nick um, experiences. Um, he plays for Thomas as the club I work at. But he he always told me about like a a Pti. Um, so what's what's the difference between a a Pti and and your sort of uh, role? So a uh, uh,
2: military Pti basically they have to go out to do they have to go out and do a qualification. They have to go out and do a course. But it's almost a second job for them being a Pti. So they have the main job which they have to do. And the P.T.I. role is more of a part-time role they can do if their squadron lets them go or if their boss lets them go. Whereas for me, being a civilian P.T.I., my sole job is that gym. I have no other duties apart from training these troops, training the soldiers, and making sure that they stay fit and stay concurrent with their phys. Um, so it's, I do the same sort. I do the same lessons they do. I do the same programs they do. The difference is they've gone off to do a military PTI course and they have a second job, whereas me, I haven't had to go away to do a military PTI course. I've had to have experience before this job to make sure I'm qualified okay. to do the job.
0: All right. So are are PTIs are PTIs civilians as well? Or are they are also
2: yeah. There so some places have um civilian PTIs, some have military. It just depends on how the base works, but the right. base I work has civilian PTIs.
0: And would would you would you consider or is that even an option for you to be like be part of the military working as your job now? So, for me to be a military PTI, I'd have to join the military, do phase one, do
2: phase two, be in a frontline unit for two years, and then do the course. So, it's a lot longer process than me right. just doing one interview and then getting yeah. the job. So, I could do it if I wanted to, but i have to do all the stages of military before I even got close to doing my military PTI course.
0: Right right so it'd be the same thing that you you're putting the people through now you'd have to go through that and then be part of it yes, and then eventually exactly. go kind of in your specialty which would happen to be the same job you're doing now <laughs> exactly i'd have to do what i'm telling everybody else to do if i yeah. joined
2: the military correct right yes right
0: i didn't know that there was uh like civilian jobs within the military i just assumed that you were also a military and had to go through and then decided that this was kind of your specialty Neither did
2: I until I got the job. I had no <laughs> clue that this was a civilian opportunity at all. That's uh, why I jumped in when I saw it. So I was exactly the same as you. I thought, I'd see the documentaries on TV. Obviously, they're all military personnel. There's no civilian jobs on military bases or anything. And then now I've been involved in it, there are more civilian jobs out there than people are aware of, way more civilian jobs in the military than people are aware of. Oh, um, really? I think it's quite good having the balance, because having balance means there's a difference spread across the entire base people interact a bit differently mm. um, and it just keeps everyone quite grounded and quite mellow instead of everyone being so rigid and uptight all the time yeah. it gives a little leeway for everyone to be a bit more relaxed in the environment which it, which they're in which is really nice and yeah. everyone works quite well together being because civilian staff still have the respect for military staff but it lets them work to military standards while being a civilian which is quite nice it means your standards are still quite high even though you're still a civilian so they work, they work. The the two work really well, and they do uh, work hand in hand, which is really nice.
1: Because yeah, the, I mean that's what I. So speaking to um, that person about sort of his time at the RAF, and like he was like, "Oh mate, you should uh, you should look into becoming a P.T.I." And I was like, "Oh, I'd actually love that." So I looked into it, and I thought, two years. Oh, I don't know about that one. I was like, whoa, have to go through all those tests. And I thought, yeah. Jesus. And then it just, it left my mind because I was like, yeah, I just don't, I don't know if I'm that, my heart's that into it to do something like that. But now understanding there's a whole different sort of line of a civilian side of things. Um, it's definitely something I could look into in yes. the future. Yeah,
2: because I, I looked online when I was a lot younger at the RAF uh, PTR, I thing, I thought, it's basically a two-year job interview almost, the, uh, that sort of RF thing. It's, a, it's just do all the basic training, then you go off to do the PTI training. I've done a complete shortcut and did one interview and one lesson, and I was there. So instead of two years, I condensed it into about an hour and a half. Jesus. So I'm very, very blessed
0: in yeah. <laughs> and
1: making it a lot quicker,
2: making it a lot quicker for myself.
1: Jeez.
0: Yeah, and I guess if if you don't, if being like, because i'm assuming then if you did if you're part of the military you would have to do your minimum amounts of deployments as well so i mean
2: to do military you have to do the minimum amount of service yeah, ser- service. service right it's, yeah
0: yeah so i guess if that's not you know your passion but you're really interested in making sure who the people whose passion that is that they get to do that and be in shape then yes. yeah that, that's really interesting do do civilians have nick, a nickname on the base
2: no, civvies. We're, we're all just civvies and civis. everyone interacts quite nicely. No, you just I, w- it out. I would say there's not much bad blood, if any, between civilian military staff at all. There's okay. very, very little bad blood between anyone. Because yeah. lot of people, we all work really well together. So one office has about, well, has military and civvies. Well, most offices have military and civvy and everyone works really well together. Um, so there's almost next to, next to zero bad blood between the two, which is really nice to see across the base because it just means everyone works really well together. And you can approach basically anyone on the base and you'd be welcomed in instead of there being like a wall or a guard up. It's everyone interacts really nicely together.
0: Is that something that you thought would be there before you got into it? Like that that kind of tension between the two?
2: I thought I'd be a lot more stepping on eggshells when I walk around the base. I thought I'd be a lot more on eggshells thinking I'm a 23-year-old civilian walk around a military camp with this rank walking past me, this rank walking past me, I've got to talk to this rank. I, I thought it'd be a lot more on eggshells because mm. um, obviously I didn't know who the military were or how to address people before I even got there. But now I've got there, I've realized that everyone is extremely welcoming and extremely nice. So yeah, it was really nice getting in there and knowing that it's a very welcoming environment to be in.
0: Yeah, yeah. We're going way back now. I was switching gears, sorry. Uh, yeah. Something just popped in my head that I wanted to ask, but I forgot. Uh, you talked about like the resiliency, uh, of, of these people, um, is that something that you've also noticed in yourself? Cause like you said, you know, you can't just set their S and C programs and then let them go. You're there doing it. Right. And so when they're on, like, I'm, I'm, this is again, me assuming if you, if they go on a 20 mile run, like you're going with them. Yes, yeah. so
2: I, I've definitely found myself more willing to do fizz because never in my life did I think if, when I was a university student, 19, hungover as hell on a Thursday, thinking in three years' time I'd be outside at 7.30 in the morning doing a 4K run in minus two degrees. Hmm. So it's definitely yeah. made me more get up and go, which is really nice. Yeah. Um, so I, I definitely appreciate what the job's given me in terms of my own attitude towards fizz and towards workload, uh, which is really good. I've definitely improved In that sense, from the job, which is really good.
0: Yeah, and and I guess in a team aspect, you know, we talk about getting buy-in for the for your players, Um, and and I guess like being in the military, you're kind of signed up, and that's your buy-in a little bit. Um, But I'm sure there's people that struggle with that at the start, like needing to do this or that, or not used to it. Like, how do you go about? Getting buy in from them, other than you know, you're outranking them and they have to do what they say you say, otherwise, you know, they're getting kicked out. Buying's on, um, which I maybe that's it, maybe that is it. <laughs> but how do you, how do you go about like, yeah, building that buy in or like Matt, that you know, athlete coach relationship kind of? Um,
2: it's a lot about just keeping morale high and making sure the lessons stay enjoyable. Because you don't want to do the same lesson 10 days in a row. It's making sure our lessons are very varied in what we do. Um, making sure we don't just go on runs every day of the week. Because I always who's gonna go on a run five times a week unless you're an absolute run head. Not many people. So mm-hmm. it's making sure that our lessons stay enjoyable, even our warm-ups stay enjoyable. Because you don't want us to do the same warm-up every single time. So it's bringing in different games during warm-ups. And then during the sessions, just keeping morale high. So going around everyone... Having a quick two-minute chat with everyone, make sure they're enjoying the session, they're enjoying life, how's life outside of work. So it's just, it's like I'm probably doing a rugby pitch. If I was a rugby coach, I'd do exactly the same thing. Make sure our sessions are varied, so we don't just plateau and make it very basic for everyone. It's making sure that you don't just stay at one level all the time. It's making sure you get
0: different varieties in there for everyone to enjoy yeah it is it's just like getting the best out of people because i guess yeah they are there and they've chose to do this and it's not like a team that i guess you know you could get benched or whatever if you're not performing or just get you know but but yeah like like just trying to get the best out of people because they're there so and if they're like you said not enjoying it then either they're gonna quit or keep going but they're not gonna probably be working at their fullest potential when they actually need to be when they're not on base yeah Uh, yeah it's really interesting yeah
1: I mean it's a completely different sort of motivation isn't it it's like you know rugby players sort of yeah you just obviously they have to be there so it's not like rugby players are sometimes like oh you know I enjoy being here or maybe I don't like it so I I won't come to to," you've got to be there so you sort of have to tap into a whole different sort of area of motivation um yeah I had other questions surrounding like Are there any nutritional changes you have to make, or any sort of mental changes that you know when going into those sort of winter periods? But then, from what you said, I I guess like nothing changes. So, (laughs) are there any changes across those areas? Because if
2: (laughs) yeah, so in terms of we don't change nutrition, we give nutritional advice. So obviously we do BCMs. um, So if people flag up as high risk or very high risk, we do offer nutritional support. So we give them a specified program for their goal. Uh, we give them monthly support, we give them a food diary, um, we give them nutritional advice. So the support systems are there in terms of nutrition. But in terms of changing it, we don't advise them on changing. We only advise if they're flagging a bit risky, because we want to make sure that they're staying in tip-top shape so they could leave whenever they have to to on deployment. So it's staying on top of making sure that they're in the best shape they can be. Um, and in terms of mental... Um, I mean everyone sort of winds down a bit towards Christmas everyone mentally does you think I've got a couple weeks off now I'm going to sit there probably drink too much eat too much so it's just staying on top of making sure our lessons are enjoyable getting around everyone and keeping it nice consistent and making sure we keep that buy-in so we've got different sort of circuits on so we're like 12 days of Christmas circuit we've got um, circuits along with songs and stuff so
0: it's keeping it enjoyable towards this wind down to Christmas Mm. yeah yeah, it is so, so you're there, kind of supporting them. Not if they need something, you're there. And is that something that you kind of put across to them? Like this is the plan. These are kind of the resources that we have available. If you need X, Y, and Z, you come to you know X, Y, and Z. And do you find that people are pretty good with coming to you or whoever? It would it be you who they come to for that nutritional advice, or, yeah, or kind so, of a um, first point me of call? Me and
2: one other. Me and one other are the nutritional sort of advisors for the base. So. It's not a, once you've flagged up, you have to do it. It's an option. We give them an option. Yeah. Would you want guidance or a happy right. doing it on your own? Um, so if you yeah. want us guidance, yeah, we give them the monthly weigh-ins. And if they don't want our guidance, we might just give them a rough estimate of, look, this is what you could work on. You could cut this out, cut this in, just do this. And then we'd leave them to it, but still do the weigh-ins with them. Yeah. Um, but it's less, one, it's less one-on-one if they opt out. But if they opt in, it's a bit, it's not, it's such... One-on-one sitting across the table, sort of shouting at them. It's definitely just an open conversation about how they do at the moment and how could they just change it slightly, just improve. So yeah, it's, a, it's an open forum for them to opt in or opt out on.
0: Yeah, yeah, uh, that's really cool. Well, we uh, we have one more thing which we do with with all of uh, the guests who we come on, which is quick fire questions. Um, Pun definitely intended there for this episode. Yeah. Uh, but but before, and Matt will take you through that. But before we, before that, we just want to say a huge thank you for coming on. Um, because uh, this is this is the most that I've ever learned of any, or talked to really anyone in the military. So to get, I think, you know, the reason we want to do a series in this podcast moving forward is just being able to get all these different perspectives of people that we usually wouldn't talk to especially working in performance you know um someone in the military is is something that i've never had the chance to talk to so really 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 cool to get your perspective on it um or just just that nothing changes in then end of story <laughs> really <laughs>
2: so that's, no, thanks for having yeah. on really enjoyed it thanks very yeah,
0: much no, guys well, I'm, I'm glad you enjoyed it so without further ado one more thing uh, yeah quick fire questions usually like five just Kind of fun, fun questions that can range from what r- What color would you be if you were a color? And what's the what most secretive base? Size? What's the location of the most secretive base in
1: England? Like that sort of stuff. Just nice playing, uh, you know, playful questions. Yeah, yeah. No, 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 no.
0: no, no. <laughs> uh,
1: but it has to be the qu- yeah. You can't think about these questions. It's got to be straight off the top of the head. Um. Yeah. No. I, yeah. Just before we go into that. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks for all of that. Um. And if there's ever a possibility, you know. Of like us doing like a either a podcast live or or even coming down. Um yeah, just just maybe like a a video in the future. Yeah, we definitely love to see what we could get uh get through.
2: Yeah, lovely. Definitely stay in touch, James. Definitely stay in touch.
1: All right, on to onto the rapid fire questions. So what is your go to lazy dinner? Mac and cheese. Nice. What is what motivates you the most? Results. Have you ever won a contest at the army? Like any sort of run or or pull-ups on that day against someone else?
2: No, I've been a loser my entire life. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what was your
1: last impulse by? Uh
2: last impulse by was um Oh god, uh Oh a peeler. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> a peeler.
0: Yeah, a like a potato, potato laser, peeler. laser precision. <laughs>
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Night vision one. <laughs> and then finally, like, what quote, what quote resonates with you or what quote have you used with the team or, you know, that you've seen around?
2: Um, a quote I use a lot is uh, be egoless. So don't go in there thinking you're the best out of everyone. Go in there with an open mind, open forum, and just sort of feed off everyone else and feed into everyone else. So being egoless in any environment, I think, works very well.
0: Amazing. There you go. Julian, really, really appreciate it. No,
2: thanks very
1: much, guys. It's been a pleasure. Thank you very much for having me on. Oh, what a, that was an unbelievable interview. It was nice going in there with an open mind because I thought I came in there with assumptions. And then after you started speaking, it threw me off when, so what do you do during the winter? No, we don't change anything. So that threw me off and we were just like, wow. And I, yeah. I, Why didn't I think of that? Obviously, they wouldn't change anything. My civilian mind couldn't comprehend what if, you know, so um, no, it was very, it was very interesting and in it's a perspective that I don't think we've ever had because we've always had athletes, you know, I don't think I've ever heard civilian that much in an interview or a conversation before, but it was, it was mind-blowingly good. And um, we've I always know. had athletes or coaches who have just trained people that like mm. either they get paid to be there or they get, uh, there's a different sort of motivation. I couldn't quite touch on it, but there's a motivation on why they're there. That's completely different to the people that are in the military on why they yeah. are there
0: why they're turning up why they, yeah. they
1: have to but then you know
0: yeah that I know that I was trying to ask ask that question and it was like because obviously you still need to motivate the people but also like they're there for a reason it's different for sports you know but maybe that's just because i've watched movies and it's like you know everyone in there is gung-ho or whatever and if you don't you just get kicked out right so it's just like my naivety of not knowing anything about it so that was really really interesting yeah that's funny (laughs) it's like we have all these questions lined up of like what do you do in this situation how do you like manage the different needs of athletes it's just the same
1: (laughs) they manage themselves actually they manage themselves um yeah no, I mean and, it was yeah, but
0: th- I think the the biggest positive from that is we came out of it without having having the SWAT team come into my room for saying yeah. for saying I, something when you I'm click record depressed. and that
1: red light started blinking. I did get a bit terrified. I started movements, you know, just in case just in case someone's <laughs> watching well, I asked a question, it was a yeah, quick was a shutdown sweet. of no, and I thought, okay, that's the last <laughs> time I'm asking a fun question. <laughs> I'm sorry,
0: yeah, yeah, but no. Yeah. It's- <laughs> before the interview the before the interview just like chatting like okay hey, so like obviously we need to be careful like what are the things we can't say what are the things we can't say right and then it's like hey these are the things we can't say me just like crossing out all of the questions that i had like oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah right, 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 right 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 yeah no 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 so no. you like
1: sports <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah um yeah was, it was yeah Yeah, if you could be a car, what would you
1: be? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. (laughs) If I'm a worm, would you still love me? You know all that sort of stuff. Um, If uh, it was crazy just to see how they run their operations differently. Like they don't have an off season. That's the funniest thing about it. I'd say, obviously not the funniest thing, but like something that just uh, one second. One other thing I didn't think about is their active recovery is deployment. You know, their off season is deployment, which is.
0: Just but it's also like completely... when, what they're like peaking for, if you want to call it a peak, right? I guess though it's, it's an off season like... peak. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And yeah. then you come back off that, just go right into training again. No, they don't. <laughs> but I guess it's so interesting because I think as like performance, working in performance sport, you get so caught up into like, there's a specific goal or like you're peaking for the specific time you know where there it's like you know they don't have specific like uh, competitions or games that they're training for it's like you know we have these standards and we need you to be at this level of fitness so it's almost like how do you stay motivated throughout the whole year or whatever this would have been a good question to ask you idiot (laughs) It's just, I'm just thinking of good questions after we've interviewed him. Fantastic, David. I thought you called me, <laughs> well you called me an idiot. I got really sad. <laughs> David, David you still like me if I no, mean. Anyways, carry on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, how do you make, because you're not peaking, really. You're just, like, making sure that people are putting in the work to meet that standard of fitness that you need in all these different areas, right? So it's like, if the, if, if for, for, the cutoff for pull ups is ten or whatever, right? It's not you're not trying to peak them so they can hit ten at that time. It's like, no, we're we're trying to get it so that they can hit ten pull ups throughout the whole year. At, or at any time, right? It's not it's not yeah, a peak. So it's, so it's just like a totally difference.
1: At the peak. It's strange.
0: <laughs> yeah yeah exactly and it yeah exactly so like yeah how do you plan so that they're maintaining oh. this standard obviously you want them to be over the standard they're not just but that's the thing is there, time, but
1: is there a maintenance there's not is there because you what these lot can't maintain they're always trying to be the best of the best or hold yeah. their skills to the best of the best so it's like when does it stop <laughs> jesus
0: yeah yeah or but what if like say for because obviously there's like aerobic strength or aerobic strength, well, I guess, aerobic capacity, anaerobic capacity, speed, strength, right? Like all these different targets that they need to hit. And I'm guessing like for some people, for example, the 2K run would be easy, but hitting the strength would be hard. Or, but, And for some yeah. person, like they're, they're an absolute unit. So they'd be able to hit the strength, no problem. But like aerobic fitness is difficult. So how do you like, do you change? Pro, do you change programs? no <laughs> that was great and unre- it was amazing imagine yeah. if we could like somehow somehow go Meet to up. an undisclosed location and and just do a sick like have him imagine doing a 20 mile run with like a weighted bag hey hey a David, weight, like
1: imagine a one mile one a one a one mile one <laughs> a, a one, one mile, mile run one. with that's what i'd sound yeah. like afterwards hey eh? holy
0: no, that was great. That was great. So we really hope that you uh, enjoyed that as much as as we did, kind of opened our eyes to a whole different style of training, whole different population yeah. of training, um, whole different like job opportunities. You know, I didn't know that was an option. So I think that's really cool. So hopefully yeah. you enjoyed it. I We'd love to know if you did. So let us know, like drop us an email, follow us on Instagram, follow us on YouTube, comment on the stuff over there, drop us a DM, let us know what you thought. Um, but yeah, we'd love to hear from you. Hopefully you're, you're learning just as much as we are. Cause, cause that was great. So Matt, do you have anything else that you wanted to add on to that? No. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no. Nah, um, yeah, no, we, we, we're enjoying this journey. We're enjoying interviewing these people. And we hope you are all enjoying it as well. So please let us know because it gives us feedback. Um, we're yep. trying to build a coach relationship athlete with you a coach athlete relationship with you guys. Um That's right, the we're athletes? Not you sure. be the coaches.
0: Yeah, we're just not sure who's who really.
1: We're yeah, just the yeah. cities.
0: We're just on the sideline.
1: Yeah. <laughs> hey, give me a year. I won't be when well, no, I'll still be a civilian. Yeah, never mind, never mind.
0: I'm still learning. Um but yeah. That was awesome. Yeah, that was great. Matt, take us out. This has been
1: the RSS podcast. We're out.